You're listening to the Mail and Guardian podcast. Hello, listeners. This is the first installment of The Fiscal Cliff, a Mail and Guardian podcast series about the state of South Africa's public purse and how the government's efforts to rein in spending have resulted in a prolonged period of what some have deemed austerity, which has eroded our public services. My name is Sarah Smith, and today I'm joined by the Mail and Guardian's editor-in-chief, my boss, Ron Darby. Today we're recording this podcast in the newsroom. Um, Ron, I came to you with this podcast idea, with this series idea, because it's going to be in written form and it's going to be in podcast form. And I just wanted to hear from you why you thought this sounded like a kind of Mail and Guardian thing to take on. It sounded like a Sarah Smith and Mailing Guardian thing to take on, first and foremost. But as <laughs> so it was in our time together, Sarah, as, as you were writing economics, uh, I think we focus a lot on just in, a, in an age where everyone's talking about the private sector and what it can do to stimulate growth and get this South African economy going. You and I have always sat down and said, look, you cannot, uh, we, it's not about having a small government, right? But that doesn't work in a sense. So we've always focused on what can the public purse do in regards to restructuring this economy, to re-inspiring growth in the economy. So I think that's why it was kind of exciting to look at just the, our fiscal position and what can we do in this, in this very desperate position we are in and that, that, that we are painted into. So I thought it was an excellent and a very much up, uh, Mail and Guardian is the only one of, of our competitors who focus on just the size of the state and not be uh, vilify the state at all in its importance to the overall South African economy. So it's very much Mail and Guardian and very much Sarah Smith. Yeah, so I, I mean a little bit of background on how, about how I came to the idea. I was actually reading some of the long reads by The Guardian. Mm. I like to download some of them when I whenever I take a flight. And I was taking a flight from Cape Town from, from Cape Town to Joburg, not from the budget, but another trip. And I was reading a lot of these articles and the through line of many of the articles because they would focus on people who have kind of left the public sector, um, now working in the private sector, but they would always talk about the effects of austerity in their context in the UK, um, a decade of austerity and how that had kind of battered their public sector considerably. And now looking at our kind of context, that battering is becoming more and more acute. So I'm wondering from your your point of view, uh, you've been reporting for far longer than I have. Um, what has been your kind of like, um, I guess your bird's eye view of how, the, how budgeting has gone about um, since let's say 96 when Trevor Manuel became the finance minister? Yeah, I, I guess at that point, uh, understandably, the almost thirty years ago now, they walked into a, a broke state, right? I mean, the the experiment that was I well, I like calling about that experiment. It was almost like a medical doctor in a sense. But the seventies basically was all up. The, the jig was up. So in whatever they inherited in nineteen ninety four, ninety six, was a broke state. So it was understandable. But in the same context, they they knew, okay, fine, you have this country in hands, but you have these historical imbalances that no matter what, you have to deal with. So almost the trade-off was, I guess, the, the increase in the, in the social welfare, welfare bill. By the same token, correcting the books and putting us in a position where we can invest in the economy. So that was, 
a very I mean, gear, all these things that had to take place. It had to happen in order to, to, to build the position we were in in 2008, 2007, uh, where we had surplus, right? And that was, and that's when the markets and investors, anyone following South Africa gave almost a, p- it's, it's about giving permission to a country to go out and dream and spend and go go nuts. And that's why hosting the World Cup, the pressures, I can't I think back about how high the pressures were about South Africa to spend. And that was all markets. Everyone was saying in their dog, every business day front page, it was about build the stadium, build the roads. And that was almost the license we were given uh, that position. But uh, going back to 1996, it was all about consolidation and, re- and getting our books right, rebuilding SARS. And that was, you know, the, the lay of the land. Understanding which there is an inequality problem, and uh, like the Marcus was sensitive to the fact they were sensitive then to the fact that South Africa is just from a buff date, right? And so there was some leeway given to building up that social uh, welfare bill, which I think now the Marcus are kind of exhausted by that, com- and people are the squeeze is on at the moment. One of the things that I find fascinating about the country's budgeting, and uh, I'm indebted to the Public Economy Project for all this kind of research that I've been doing but it's so much about timing and a lot of the the spending happened when when South Africa had the money to do it um, the commodity windfall at the time um, which I mean if we kind of look at what's happening now we're also in this kind of same position but that commodity windfall kind of allowed us to um, expand spending. And I mean, various commentators will say, perhaps we made the wrong choices. So maybe we shouldn't have expanded consumption expenditure, which is kind of the the right way that people like to talk about social grants. And perhaps during that period, we should have taxed um, the rich more Mm. um, when we could have done that. When, and then commodi- that commodity windfall kind of fell off and the treasury itself has been very bad at having kind of the finger on the pulse of how much growth South Africa will realize. Um, so it almost didn't see it coming. Um, it didn't see the commodity windfall coming off. It didn't factor in that there'd be low growth. It certainly didn't factor in a period of state capture mm. where uh, the public would start not wanting to kind of back this government, that business um, confidence would fall off. So I mean, all these factors are, are kind of fascinating to me. Mm. Um, it's really incumbent on Treasury to kind of keep up with what is going to happen. And mm. of course, there's so much uncertainty built into the books, right? Mm. Um, and that's something that we're actually facing right now. Mm. The word on every economist's lip, lips is uncertainty. I don't know if that's been a forever thing, but uncertainty, uncertainty, uncertainty. And now we're kind of falling into a pretty deep fiscal crisis. I'm wondering from your point of view, how badly has this crisis hit our public services? Oh, massively so. But you know, I think about this uncertainty thing and uh, to be fair to Treasury and to basically every single economist, even friends of mine, is that everyone thought China was in a growth forever. Right, and that's a super commodity cycle, and that's why uh, the world was happy. Up until 2008, uh, the U.S. appointed a black president. It tells you how happy Americans were and very relaxed <laughs> with, with, their, with their lot in life. But at, th- at that point, well, it was 2008 was subprime crisis. 
Okay, that's where the, almost the screws start turning. And then later on, suddenly, China, I remember that point was reporting, what, 10% double-digit growth. It's ridiculous. For, and so the world was used to that consumption. But no one, I guess, could have foreseen that, that tail off in Chinese goods where it is right now. No one. Everyone had invested everything on the basis that of an expanding China. So, fine, I, I'll give them the, uh, the benefit of the, of the doubt there. But th and that kind of g brings us to where we are now, where I think South Africa's economic crisis began much, much in 2013, maybe on that because in response to that 2008 tailwind, there was lots of uh, dollar printing. By that point, it was just superfluous, right? The economy, the, the global economy was in a state of, uh, of shock and in, uh, in disrepair. I don't think we've ever got back to those two th pre-2008 levels. And that has been the dawning reality on all of us of just how, uh, how much pressure we are in, in South Africa. So when it comes to public spend, 2008 comes, we go, hey, gangbusters, man, let's fire lights out, let's prepare for the World Cup, let's spend to boost the economy. I remember that they were giving the Jacob Zuma government then high fives for coming out of that crisis fastest amongst emerging markets. We did come out rather quickly, and everyone focused on South Africa as the growth know of the world. Walmart sort of buying mass smart. So we were at like at the pinnacle. Everyone looked for South Africa when it comes to growth. But then, as, as we know, 2013 came, 12, Marikana, 13, things changed, and no one could have foreseen that drop-off as it has, it's to be fair, to to treasure, which you know, you know how hard I am on generally. <laughs> but in terms of the forecasting, I think the past 20 years, uh, what, 15, it's 15 years, 16 years, has been like a fraught period. We've never had China f uh, fall off. Uh, before, up until that point, it was almost three decades of Chinese growth, and everyone could bank on it. Just throw everything to China. They're the world's factory. They'll make your goods cheap. There's a, there's a over a billion people out there. That economy is going to be our story. Since China's gone out, the world hasn't had a story like China. Right? Uh, nothing has replaced the Chinese story as well, I think. So since uh, 2008, 2008 uh, well, when's the China? Yeah, post-2008, we haven't had a growth story like China. It's almost propel all, all markets. And South Africa is that type of economy that's so linked into the, to, to the, to the West, important, what's going on in the West, and that feeds into South Africa. They haven't had any, no, we haven't had a growth mule, as it were, to kick into. And that's where our hard choices have come to play. On the other opposite end, we always face the threat when it comes to higher taxation. South Africa has a threat of people pulling out. It's always there. The front page today, Business Day, with Peter Bruce, my former boss, writes there, thanking people who can leave but have chose to stay. I, I always get irritated by that, right? It's like, so that, but that's a threat, right? People are leaving and, and investments will leave the country. So whenever, even if Treasury thinks of higher taxes for the 1% in this country, they're always trading off, like if we do that, it makes South Africa, as this emerging market, even more un less attractive and so, so on and so on. So the threat is there and it does have an immediate impact because we have this rand that's so volatile and reacts to any, almost any cough in the market as it were. And that's the trade. So the forecasting over the past uh, 2000, since 2013, maybe there, 2013, I, I, I probably have a bit of a, a, a hit at Treasury because the minute the, the US started stop, uh, said they want to st uh, slow down printing US dollars, they should have known then that, okay, the jig is up. All the free money is going, the easy uh, money is gone. And maybe at that point, the thinking should have been different. However, you had a Zuma administration. 
which wasn't quite known for that. And it makes perfect sense. The first time the finance minister warned about spending, about this issue, was 2015, that, uh, that budget speech. At the end of 2015, he was gone. So you, kind of, you can see. And then we've had state, state capture, corruption, and that all that unfolded. It's a, it's, a, it's a perfect mix of just the perfect storm, right? I think you are being a bit, maybe a bit generous to Treasury, but I mean, that kind of shows that maybe I'm a bit more left than the center <laughs> left of the Man and Guardian, um, insofar as um, crisis is kind of built, in t built into capitalism, and we should kind of be able to. Um, if not, if we're not going to step out of it, we're, we've got to kind of accept that crisis is going to happen yeah. every s couple of years. Um, I, I guess when we talk about the Zuma years, I, I wonder then if you think that we would have faced the same fiscal crisis that we do now had it not been for um, the the period of state capture. I mean, sure the... Uh, yeah. We wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> actually, I, I think our economy, the, the one thing, okay, heading to 2015 when they fired Nene, who I always tell you is one of my favorite finance ministers. I'm just, why didn't you tell us he had tea? You know, just tell us you had tea. He's a really good guy, right? That up to that point, we were allowed to spend as we were. We were South Africa was still spending, yeah? Uh, and so the state was still a, a powerful player in the economy. Uh, I spoke to Mike Brown around that period, and he would go back and say, yeah, during the state capture years, all that money that was being stolen and stuff like that, it was actually, it was greasing the economy. The Saharan economy was still, I think, 2004. We were close on that 3%. So we could have stayed on that higher mark, right, on that growth mark. What state capture did, um, unfortunately, is just faith and trust. And unfortunately, money still operates on that basis, and South Africa is pretty much a... So people almost... It moves on that f uh, on that faith in this uh, emerging market crisis uh, uh, country. When we joined BRICS 2011, as much as with the small of a cousin, we were actually a cousin that kind of fit into this mold of this new emerging market center. We were still in there. As soon as state capture took over, that narrative really uh, uh, burned into our reputation. Treasury could like uh, I guess that's when the growth rate went away, and Treasury had no space to leeway to really play regards to stimulating the South African economy, even even with our debt uh, our debt levels, which are our debt levels are much better than many major markets because it's it's rand based, so we're not exposed to dollars, so we're in a, a, a much stronger position. But in this, I mean, state capture and how it is played and how it's unfolded, uh, and also the behavior of the administration, it was a very desperate administration at that point, uh, contributed to the fiscal position we're in. I think if if that wasn't the narrative. We may have got some leeway to carry on a more supportive, uh, the state being more supportive of the, of the SA economy than it has been over the past eight years. And then, of course, we come to Saul Ramaphosa's presidency. In, in my notes I've cited, I think it was man one of Malusi Gagaba's last budget speeches, mm. his last, if not his first. His, I think he, he might have had two. But he's, he's, he quoted um, Kendrick Lamar and said, we're going to be all right, which, I mean, it, it shone the light on the absurdity of, of someone steering our budget and, <laughs> and then also <laughs> quoting Kendrick Lamar. But we go into the Ramaphosa years, of course, incredibly difficult, punctuated by the pandemic. But we would have... Th 
there has been kind of these glimmers of hope in the budgets of Inakorongwana to say that we're kind of coming away from that fiscal cliff where we're seeing the the bright light mm. at the end of this austerity period. Mm. But it's becoming clearer and clearer now that that is not going to be the case. Mm. Um, because once again, um, as I alluded to earlier, we're facing um, a commodity windfall falling off. Yep. Um, we're also watching not only the global economy slow back down from the kind of low base of the post-pandemic, but we're also watching China slow down markedly. The expectation for the commodity windfall was largely based off of China's ramping up. And then probably more importantly, or something that the rest rest of us in South Africa in the real economy would experience is load shedding, Mm. um, low growth. And on top of that, all we have a public service that is frayed at the edges. Um, and that's probably putting it lightly. Mm. Um, an economy that is grinding to a halt. Mm. Uh, thanks in large part, from, from my view, be, because of fiscal consolidation, because yeah. of austerity. I mean, that's, you're basically saying, let's put the brakes on the economy. Has Ramaphosa's presidency brought everything that it should have brought or was his hands kind of tied at, from the beginning? So I think it was uh, a month ago, the, the president had some medicines that his uh, body had to get finally face-to-face. He re- rarely, if ever, does these things. And then he put on the board there all the plans uh, that he had, uh, unemployment, and all these like, very cool plans. And at the end of it, I asked my, we sat down and asked him, in your fiscal position, those plans on the board, do they work? And you know, he see a bit, and like, I don't want to say I was president's quorum, but it, he understood the difficulty of it. It's just that there's nothing in the coffers and the, the way the fisc- where we sit as, as a country and how our, fisc- our, our fiscal spaces ru- run very conservatively, there's really nothing you can do about many of these great plans, like to, to almost spur them on. And hence you see more is calling on the private sector, get involved, get involved. When you, we know that this country, the private sector and government have, or have are two opposing forces, even though they, they say they are together invested in, in this economy, where, but the private sector really is pushing for smaller government, but at the same token, uh, is n- not in a position to invest on a, on a level that will spur on growth to those high 5% marks and actually eat into our unemployment. So, but uh, wha- what that says is that fiscally, He's come, well, maybe well-intentioned, a nice chart on the board, uh, how many commissions does he have in terms of the economy, what to do. But he finds a, uh, uh, with a, very a treasury that can't do much to help spur that on without the public system coming on board. But as we know, public sector only comes on board after the, pu- the pu- public sector has kind of dug up the roads and started the whole build. And that's only when public sector comes to take almost exploit the opportunity that public sector work does uh, a yield. So that's where he is at the moment. And which was and two years of uh, COVID period also would hamper it. So in terms of, we were talking about uh, a couple of days ago, we are basically back at 2019 when we had Tito Mboweni trying to m- ins- ensure that we avoid moving to junk status. That kind of thing, fiscally moving right back to that position, which actually is, yeah, the rightful position. Everything off of that, 
uh, COVID for two years. It's all unprecedented things that changed the trajectory, and we weren't quite sure. It's almost like smoke and mirrors. I think now we're back to 2018 when he took over, 2000 when, when they asked uh, Jacob Zuma. We're still pretty much on that same train, uh, especially if commodity prices come down and continue to come down as they are. Our saving grace, which I this is the great thing about this country, why anyone who writes off South Africa is ridiculous to me, is that the RAND is weakened significantly. So these miners are very, uh, are still re- reporting profits, maybe not at the scale that they were uh, a couple of years ago, but the RAND weakness then also comes in to help, right, in terms of tax proceeds. But uh, yeah, to me, in my head, we just back at 2008, uh, to everything, we're gonna be all right, we are pretty much reversed to that position. And what we do then, uh, from that point on, is quite important going forward for us. Yeah, and in the meantime, we're saddled with uh, this public sector that, as I say, is hammered. Um, Very difficult to create growth from a position like that. Mm. Um, Very difficult to create growth without public investment. Uh, You've periodically referred to the markets Mm. when talking about the budget, which I I suppose seems very important um, when we think of when Des Van Ryan became um, the minister. Because they can pull the rug out of whatever you say. So South Africa's not in a position... We're not uh, China or U.S. or... Yeah, actually, we're not China or U.S. Everyone else is kind of... You saw what happened to the British uh, Chancellor, right? Yeah. So themselves, the market can't pull the rug from you. And that's the thing. So you almost... It's a navigation. You have to navigate it. It's ugly. But Africa, we know... So uh, take the public sector. We need more public sector employees. Everyone will tell you, no, it's it's, it's bulky, it's messy. No, the fact is... The reason why the state is it doesn't have capacity is because we need more public employees. But we, what we've done over the past years, with when post two thousand eight, was play higher senior management, gave them great increases, and just just sign the checks. I remember those those periods, those negotiations. But they have to be hard negotiations, right? With employees at that point, we're just signing off the checks. Okay, and how once X fine go. And then this was very much in that period of of plenty. What we found now is that look, the top layer of government, people are so well paid there that they can't fill not enough teachers, not enough doctors, not enough, uh, and I think police force will be more than enough. I just think we don't have strong intelligence. Anyway, it's another question. But the point, the, the public sector is yearning for investment. And that means by actually hiring more people, especially then get the uh, services done well, and that in, in turn then kicks, uh, f- feeds into the economy. But we can't. We all, we've squeezed ourselves so much and to go out there and tell that story, but that's what actually essentially Enoch needs to go do. Have credibility to go and t- speak to the market. You have to go and speak to the market and sell the story that look, we need to, f- uh, our public sector is, the wi- why the state isn't working is because it doesn't have enough capacity. We need to hire more people. We need to get in the right industries. And that you almost need like a bit of leeway from the market, uh, be less punitive of you as you embark upon that journey. But because of state uh, corruption and all the other stuff, all these stories that tell you about that makes this all the more difficult. As you say, we're still kind of paying the price of those Zuma years. Mm. Um, and to the markets, fiscal consolidation is a green flag. Um, but austerity should mm. be a red flag. Mm. Um, and I s- that's why we're working on this exact project mm. to raise those red flags. We can't see ourselves slip even further into this crisis. 
So listeners, I hope that you will continue to tune in. And every month we will be running a feature by one of our amazing Mail and Guardian journalists really getting into the nitty gritty of what it is like to be at the coalface of austerity. So thank you, Ron. Thanks for joining me Um, and tune in further. Thank you for listening to the Mail and Guardian podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you like and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. All our podcasts can be found at mg.co.za and our social media platforms at Mail and Guardian. Follow this show under the hashtag The Fiscal Cliff. Support our journalism by going to mg.co.za and registering your free account please consider subscribing for 99 Rand a month and gain additional member benefits. This will go a long way to ensure that The Mail and Guardian can continue to bring you quality journalism. The Mail and Guardian, Africa's better future.